Wine Work and Passion is brought to you by the Napa Valley Wine Academy, America's premier wine school and two-time winner of the WSET Global Wine Educator of the Year Award. You can find a course that's right for you at NapaValleyWineAcademy.com and use the code in our show notes for a special discount. I'm your host, Karen Wetzel, and Wine, Work, and Passion is the podcast where we inspire you to make a career out of your passion for wine. In this episode, my good friend Beth McCauley will take us on her journey, starting off as a college student and server, to ultimately becoming a division sales manager for the historic Esperson Estate. Listen in, and you'll find some great advice on how you too can follow in Beth's footsteps. Hi, Beth. How are you? (laughs) Thanks for joining me today. I'm super excited to have you. So can you tell our audience who you are and what you do in the wine industry and who you work for? Yes, I can. And thank you so much, Karen. I'm so thrilled to be here with you today. Um, So I'm Beth McCauley. I am the Midwest Division Manager for Hess Person Estates. I run an eight-state region. I'm responsible for all sales aspects across the eight states. Okay, great. That's that's a lot. That's a big job. And we're <laughs> going to delve into that in just a little bit. So it, I'm really excited to reconnect with you. You know, we talked the other day on the phone and you were nice enough to be a, a willing victim here. <laughs> um, but it'll really be helpful uh, to tell your story, I think, for our audience and you know your journey through your various careers in the wine industry. And I think it's very inspiring. So uh, for the audience, for, for you guys out there listening, when Beth and I uh, started planning this a, a couple of, well, what, about a week ago, I guess, we were trying to figure out exactly when we met and we couldn't come up with the exact day and time, but we did narrow it down to, we think it was at the 2009 national sales meeting for Constellation way back in the day when Beth and I were both on-premise sales managers. On-premise means restaurants where you consume the product on the premises. And so we were on-premise sales managers and uh, it was a great connection because Beth was in Chicago, I was in Cleveland and we got asked to serve on various committees together. And we really got to do a lot of collaborating. We found we were super kindred spirits and uh, had a lot of the same background and everything as you'll discover today. So lucky for me, we've stayed in touch over these years. And uh, so that's how we all got to where we are today. Um, so Beth, tell us, uh, start us on your journey. Tell us about your background, how you got started in wine, um, and the various positions you've held. Just give us an idea of your journey into the wine industry. Sure. Well, I, it all starts with, you know, college. My parents, you know, said, you really need to go to college. You really need to do that, but uh, you have to pay for it. So I was <laughs> like, okay, how am I going to do this? So um, I got my two-year degree at a junior college, and then I transferred to University of Illinois and got a Bachelor's of Fine Arts. And while I was working to pay for college, I ended up getting a job at a casino and I opened up a fine dining restaurant there. And um, it was one of these really cool, amazing experiences because um, they specifically wanted a team of women, all women and women that had no experience in fine dining. And really, they just wanted to start us from ground zero and teach us all the aspects of fine dining. And part of that included wine. So that kind of 
was the start of me really sort of learning about, you know, the, the service aspect of the restaurant industry and um, people coming in and having this amazing experience and how wine can really enhance that experience. So really kind of fell in love with that. And then from, from graduating um, college with a, a Bachelor of Fine Arts in graphic design, um, I thought, okay, I've, you know, I've spent this money. I've worked so hard getting this degree. I better do what I got my degree in. Well, sure enough, I sat behind a computer all day, sitting at, staring at a <laughs> screen and um, not really making any money. So I thought, okay, well, I really love the restaurant industry, but I do not want to spend the rest of my life you know, staying up that late and working those sort of hours. And so I think for a lot of people, that's, you know, they kind of come to that same conclusion. You love the industry and, and you figure, well, what can I do that I can still stay in it, but not have those crazy hours? So um, I turned to um, some family friends to just kind of get input on what they did. And I literally interviewed family friends. And one of our family friends worked at a distributor. And he said, well, you know, with your restaurant background and, you know, your wine knowledge, you know, you might enjoy going and working at a distributor and getting into sales. And I thought, oh, gosh, sales, no way. I <laughs> I kind of thought of it as like, you know, the old time used car salesperson. I right. thought, I, I'm not going to do that. Every well, time I tell, so I mention sales to people, they have that sort of same reaction. Oh, I can't sell. But it's funny. I, I don't. I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to back up just one second because you were talking about being a server in fine dining, and a major role of being a server in fine dining is to sell wine to the guests. So I used to, you know, I came up. I was in casual dining, not fine dining, but I always thought of myself as a sales rep. And you basically, through tips, get commission on your sales. So you already were selling, even though I don't think necessarily restaurant people think of that, but that's one of the reasons why coming up through the restaurant restaurant network does translate into sales positions so well, because you've already done it without even knowing you're doing it, kind of natural kind of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Well, and you know, it took my parents kind of saying that exact same thing to me to go, oh yeah, I kind of realize that now. So right. Um, yeah. So I, I talked to our family friend and he said, well, you know what, give me your resume and, and we'll get you an interview. And from there, you know, the rest is up to you. So I, I ended up getting a role at the distributor, um, having a downtown route on premise. So just dealing with restaurants and just selling wine. So from there, you know, I thought this is fantastic. I, you know, I really loved the camaraderie with the, with the team and, you know, just all aspects of, um, you know, what, what we were doing with restaurants and just how, how you sell wine and learning all about the different regions. And I kind of was drawn more towards the supplier side. So I thought long-term, you know, I really could see myself working directly for the producer. So that's kind of what I set my sights on. Um, I knew I needed to have some people management experience. So I, I worked towards becoming a district manager within the distributor. And then from there kind of made the move to the supplier side. So yes, you and I met at Constellation. And prior to that, I was at um, Beam Global when they had a wine division. And I was also with Allied de Mac when they had, well, the, when they were in business, they were the second largest wine and spirits company in the world. So, um, you know, up until my current role, I have always worked at very large sort of publicly traded supplier companies where it's, you know, full wine and spirits books. So a broad array of 
um, geographies and, you know, selling international wines and domestic wines. And so it's, it was, it was really cool to just kind of have that experience and, and all of that background and knowledge to be able to get me to where I'm at today. Right. And, and your beam ultimately allied, ultimately constellation, that was really a result of acquisitions. It wasn't that you were looking, you were, you were moved from one to the other because of various acquisitions that ultimately came to constellation, which was the the last acquisition, I guess you could say. So it wasn't so much of a, it was actually a, a, a testimony to the way they valued you because you survived <laughs> a lot of takeovers, which I think is really important. So before we get into your role specifically at Hess, we, you know, we've talked a little bit about here, the relationship between supplier or the levels between supplier and distributor. So let's, I just want to make sure the audience understands. So we have this thing in America called the three tier system. It came out of prohibition. And so the three tier system um, starts off with the supplier. The supplier is the producer, and it could be as simple as one company like Hess, or it could be a conglomeration like a constellation that has you know dozens and dozens of brands under their belt. It could be publicly traded, could be privately owned, like Gallo's privately owned. But it, but when we say supplier, we're talking about the producer. It, it could be just an individual winery. Hess is one. J. Lore, Schramsberg. There's a bunch of them, or these big conglomerates. And the supplier sells their products to the distributor. That's the second tier. And the distributor people then in turn sell those products to um, what we refer to as the retailer, meaning the last lo- the last um, uh, rung in the ladder, the people who ultimately sell it to the consumer. So a retailer isn't necessarily just a retail store. It could be a restaurant, it could be a hotel, it could be a theater, anyone who is it, who is the last stop before it gets in the consumer's hands. So sometimes I think it really should be a four-tier system because it's supplier to distributor, di- distributor to retailer, and then retailer ultimately to the consumer. But we don't really count the consumer in that. So, so um, you know, when as Beth was talking about her work at the distributor um, and then ultimately with the supplier. So that's the, the flow, if you will. And there's various job levels within uh, each of those networks, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I, because we're using the terms, I kind of wanted to get that out out of the way. Um, so, um, so tell us about Hess Person Estates. Happy to. So, I I actually came to work at Hess Person Estates about six years ago, and some of it's been that long. Really? <laughs> wow! I know, I know. It Why? really it it does fly. Um, well, a lot of people might have heard of the winery um, as Hess Collection Winery. And we recently um, went through a name change just actually about two months ago. And the name changed to Hess Person Estates. And it really speaks to who we are as a second generation or next generation stewardship. So Donald Hess founded uh, the winery back in 1978 in Napa, and we're located up on Mount Veter. Um, and since then, of course, you know, the, the portfolio has done great. We have um, our Hess Collection wines, we have our Hess Select wines, and, and those are the brands that people are very familiar with. And then back in 2012, um, Donald's daughter and her husband, so Tim and Sabrina Persson, came to the winery and, and basically started um, running the winery and all of the operations. And so really the name change kind of reflects 
their involvement and now them as the stewards of, of the winery and the company. So really cool, exciting things happening under Tim and Sabrina. We have our whole new Lion's Head cellar and we have our Lion's Head wines, all luxury wines. And so if you do get a chance to head over to the winery, it's spectacular. Donald was an avid art collector. He was considered or is considered one of the top modern abstract art collectors in the world. So the collection um, that we have at the gallery there is pretty impressive. And it's only about a third of his collection. So it's this mm-hmm. unique experience where you're up on Mount Veter, you're in the middle of nowhere, you're at this gorgeous historic property that was built in the early 1900s. Um, and everywhere around you, all you can see are mountains and vineyards. And then you get to taste fantastic wine. Um, our chefs prepare amazing uh, pairings, and then you can go and tour the art gallery. So it's it's yeah. pretty spectacular. So it's a great family to work for and a great uh, grouping of brands to be able to sell. Yeah, I, I can't echo that enough. I'm fortunate enough to, now that I live in Napa for the last, well, a little more than the time you've been gone. So seven years uh, we live right at the foothills of Mount Veter, and we get up to Hess periodically. And in fact, the Napa Valley Wine Academy has even done some projects with them. So we're connected in that way as well. But it is really, a, a first of all, the drive is spectacular, but getting up there and just feeling like what it's like to, you know, we always say we, we always revere mountain fruit and to get up there and really experience that. But the art gallery, and the art gallery is just open to the public, right? I mean, if you go in for yeah. a tasting, you get access. Yeah. You don't have, it's not like you have to buy a separate ticket or pay an extra fee. Um, and it, it really, the art gallery is spectacular. So if you are here in Napa, put that one on your bucket list of places to go and you just go online and make a reservation. I'm assuming Beth, right? Yep. Yep. Has person estates.com and you can make a reservation. Yep. And so you mentioned like the lion's head line, those are available at the winery only. Can you buy them online? I know they're not really mass marketed or distributed around the U S Right. They're small production. You can buy them online um, through the winery. You can buy them at the winery. And then um, most of the wines are available nationwide. So you can um, find them at higher end sort of luxury retailers and then through some of our restaurant partners. Oh, so if you have a retailer that doesn't carry it, you can ask and maybe they could connect with your local just with their with their distributor who carries has to to have it brought in. Cool. Okay. So I didn't realize those were distributed, you know, like you say, in small amounts, but, but nonetheless, so, okay, well, that's great. I don't know about you, but I didn't have any wine credentials until I met you. (laughs) (laughs) And we started, we took our WSET level three together. Did you have any wine classes before that? Um, well, I did the intro program for the Master Psalm. Oh, I, you know what? I take it back. I had that too. I did have that through Fred Dame, as a matter Did you yeah. take it through Fred? Okay. Yes. So we didn't yes. take it at the same time, but you're right. We did all do that. I forgot about that. Yep. We did that. Um, and then of course, you know, the, the first and second levels for the WSET. Um, but prior to that, no. And I kind of think that there wasn't really very much out there available in terms of certification. Right. And there wasn't Um, a big emphasis on it. In fact, I never even took one and two. I just, Peter just, our boss, my boss, Peter said, just take it. You'll be fine. (laughs) It was the hardest test I ever took, but I did pass (laughs) it. But it's funny because, you know, I don't know about your experiences, Beth, but 
when I was at the distributor and we were, I was with a fine wine house called the hammer company at the time um, in uh, Ohio, we were the largest fine wine house East of the Mississippi. So we were really into, you know, we had all the Bordeaux and the Burgundies and I knew nothing about wine. And I asked my boss one day, I said, should I be taking like classes of some sort or getting some credentials? And he's like, nah, you're fine. We'll teach you everything we need. You need to know. And you know, I was really good at sales and I did learn a lot about wine, which ultimately helped me pass my level three. But back then I didn't know five people that had a credential. Like it just wasn't a thing. But I think today it's very different. I think it gives you a competitive edge, especially if you're trying to get in, you know, well, we, we'll talk about it in a bit, but the best way to get into a supplier role is to start at a distributor because that's kind of the pool they, they pull from. But, you know, if you don't have sales experience or wine experience, how do you get in? Well, having a credential, having, you know, some WSET or, I mean, that's really probably the more important one, but having that sometimes helps you overcome that lack of experience or maybe moves your your resume closer to the top of the pile where otherwise, if you don't have a lot of other experience, you're kind of sitting a sitting duck, I guess you could say. So having credentials today gives you an edge. And so many people, I can attest, are business at the academy has gone crazy, especially since COVID, you know, it's, it's not uncommon today for people to have credentials. And in fact, a lot of distributors, the larger ones, I know Southern and RNDC, they actually put their people through courses like WSET. So yep. it, just for the audience to know, you know, if you're looking for an edge, go to WSET. That's, that's a really easy way to do it. And of course, you know, shameless plug for the Academy. You could take it online with us anywhere in the world. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Just <laughs> had to throw that in there. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I just, so I wanted to get that in there. Um, now tell us, I want you to talk about more specifically your role, your specific role and what you do, like what's a day in the life? What, what kinds of activities do you do? So my specific role is division manager. Ultimately, um, means to deliver the sales goals within my eight states. So within the division, I am fortunate enough to have two regional managers that report under me and each of them manage four states. And really we're, we're working with our distributor partners to ensure that, you know, they're on track, they know their goals, we're, we're helping them build strategy, we're, um, working with them out in the field and getting to know key customers and helping make those sales calls. We're identifying opportunities, um, maybe taking a look at, um, you know, where we, where we aren't and where we can be um, and using metrics to determine that. Another big aspect of my role is the financial component, making sure that, you know, we're on budget and that we're not overspent. Um, and really, a lot of it has to do with just ultimately, how do we overcome whatever challenges are happening within a given market to deliver our goal? So that's so complex and so varied based on, you know, what state you're in. Each state has a different set of regulations and laws. And it's funny because as we were talking about like the three-tier system, you know, that goes back to prohibition. And all of that, it's funny that you think, gosh, that goes, there's so much history with that. And then because of prohibition, right, each of the states kind of defined the rules and the regulations for their state. So right. when I deal with Illinois, there's a different set of rules than what I deal with Ohio, for example. Right. And, you know, kind of 
working within those constraints. And so it's not a one size fits all. So it really is, um, you know, you wake up every day and there's something new every day. Um, and it can be, how can I, how can I help this team know how to sell this product better? Or, okay, how can this team drive new distribution because there's an opportunity and we've identified that opportunity? Or how can I work with this retailer to get a program for the holidays and get our products on the floor? Um, so, I mean, it's totally varied and that's what's fun about the job. Yeah. So you're, so you're basically a business manager. You're managing, you're managing the business that your distributor does for your products or with your products. So you're managing their sales goals and you're helping them, you know, find ways to accomplish those sales goals. And and lest anybody think that, you know, I know when I get into the industry, I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to sit around and drink wine all day. No, it's not like that. Well, and it's funny, you do your taste, you know, you work a tasting and everyone comes up to the table. This is the best job. And I'm like, this is the fun part of the job. <laughs> yeah. The other 80% is, uh, is not as much fun, but yet very satisfying and, and very yeah. rewarding. So, you know, you have to be a little competitive. You have to be driven to accomplish goals. There are, you know, every sales rep gets, you know, ultimately you as the supplier give the distributor sales goals and the distributor managers filter that down to each salesperson gets their goals. So there is, you know, there's, there's some a little bit of, of pressure there, but, um, so you're, so you're calling on the distributor. They're really your customer almost in, in a way, and you're managing their business, but you're, but as you mentioned, you're also sometimes calling directly on accounts, especially the larger, more important hotel groups or retailers in the market, or, you know, you're calling on big buyers and that type of thing. Is that, does that sound about right? Yes, completely a hundred percent. And, you know, so, um, a lot of, organization, supplier organizations, I would say, you know, depending on the size of the supplier, you might have very specific roles. So you might have somebody that's like when we were at Constellation, just on premise and maybe just in a very defined geography, Right. you could have somebody that just works with national accounts. So think of like a hotel or, you know, Olive Garden or a Cheesecake Factory, those national accounts that, and you have somebody just assigned to calling on those accounts. Right. And or then Kro- Kroger or yeah. Costco or, you know, and, you know, Safeway Albertsons, any of those guys too, right? Yeah. So we're lucky in, in my division, there's a regional manager that's my counter or I'm sorry, regional chain manager. That's my counterpart. And um, he calls on the key retail chains. And so, you know, that's a really nice overlay to have because that's, direct relationship with those buyers. So the other thing to consider too on the distributor side is, you know, they're representing our portfolio, but they're also representing a hundred other or more people just like me. And so, you know, they have a lot of products they're representing. They have a lot of priorities and removing obstacles to make your products easier for them to sell is very important. <laughs> so yeah. some, go ahead. Well, and, and you mentioned, you know, one of your roles is to maybe educate your sales teams, the sales teams at the distributors on, you know, the benefits of your, of your products and where they fit in and how to present them and how to show them in their best light. Um, so there is a wine education aspect to this. I know back in my distributor days, every Friday we'd get four or five, sometimes more, 
uh, suppliers like like a Hess would come in and you you know that person somebody like yourself would taste us through four or five wines and then they'd go away and the next guy would come out and you know by noon you're tipsy but um, that's where spit cups really came in handy yes. I found out the hard way yes. but uh, but you know so so working with suppliers. Um, when you are at a distributor, it can be really valuable. Like you mentioned that you go out and work with the sales teams at the distributors. You're actually in their car calling on their accounts with them. And some salespeople don't like that, but I used to love it when I was in sales because now I got backup, right? I don't have to do all the heavy lifting. I brought you along and I'm going to let you do the talking. And, you know, so there's a, there is a lot of, uh, various roles to play. You mentioned trade tastings and wine dinners, and I know you, you do all that kind of thing. So it's, you know, it's not all glamorous, but, but some of it is. And of course, then there's the travel aspect because you do get to come out to California, you know, well, not lately, but. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I've been fortunate with, you know, all of the different companies that I've worked for to be able to represent wines from all over the world. And I mean, I've been able to go to Argentina, New Zealand, Spain, Portugal, France, Italy, you you name it all for work and, you know, can enhance my knowledge and understanding of wines from those regions. So um, that's definitely one of the big perks. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And really, even at the distributor level, the sales teams, you know, there's a lot of incentive trips that people like yourself write, like you might write an incentive for one of the distributors to say, hey, if you know, if for those that reach their sales goal, we're going to bring you out to California, we're going to bring you to Napa, we're going to wine you and dine you and take you to the winery and have you see all these great places. So, um, so there, there can be travel even at, at the distributor level. And really, you, you're right. We, you know, we did talk about this. The distributor uh, network is the best way to move up into the supplier system. Um, you know, everything comes kind of incrementally and, and uh, the money kind of comes with it. I, I felt anyway, I you know, made more money at a supplier than I did at a distributor, but it was all rewarding and they're all great jobs. Um, I would say there's probably generally less travel if you're a sales rep at a distributor versus covering multiple states like you do at a supplier. Suppliers are stretched a little thinner, so there's more, you know, regular amounts of travel, but, um, you know, so, so there's lots to consider, but, and, and we do, you know, suppliers occasionally do hire outside the network distributor. I know at Constellation, we hired a gal from pharmaceuticals. Um, we've hired people from CPG products like Kraft Cheese or Pepsi, or Coke, you know, those kind of companies, but more often that, that wine distributor network, because you're going to ultimately as a supplier, you're going to be calling on the distributor. It's super helpful for you to know how they work. And that's why that coming up to that distributor network is so important. So that's very, very cool. So what do you like the best about your job, Beth? I like how varied it is. I really do. I think there's a lot of, well, I just think in general, I was thinking about, you know, all of the things that I've done and how many things I was scared to death when I thought about doing them that now are just like second nature. So I feel like just challenging yourself and being able to just 
kind of get out of your way and do things that you just didn't think you could ever do. So I think, you know, my role, I'm just challenged all the time. And so there's things that, you know, I'm already super good at, and then things that I'm just still growing and, you know, trying to make that a strength. So, and I'm lucky I work with really great people. Yeah, so that's I'm very so fortunate. Important. Yeah, that's so, so important. And is there, what would you say is, not to spin a negative, but what would say, what's the biggest challenge in your job? Managing your time. There is so much to do in trying to be effective in ensuring that you take care of everything that you need to take care of um, and without letting things slip through the cracks. So uh, I think that is probably the biggest challenge. And I'm sure with just the COVID change and, and a lot more people working remotely and doing things via, you know, video conference calls, um, it just seems that we're even busier than ever. And so learning how to manage your time and just being effective and prioritizing your time is critical. <laughs> so, Well, and especially for someone like yourself, because you've raised a daughter during, during all this, during all these yes. years of working so hard. And what is she, you said she's almost 15 or she just turned 15. She's going to be 15 this, wow. <laughs> this month. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have little kids when I was doing it. I, my kids were a little bit older and I thought that was hard, but doing it with little ones at home, I don't know how anybody really uh, can, can do that. So, um, so anyway, okay, well, I want to, you know, let's sort of tie this up in a bow, if you will. So somebody's listening and maybe they're a waiter because we talked about, you know, what a great way serving, ta- you know, working in dining can be to enter. Maybe they're a waiter or maybe they're a distributor, maybe a sales rep at a distributor, a merchandiser at a distributor. Give us some key takeaways. What can people who want to enter sales or move up in sales, whichever, um, can, what can they do now to help affect, uh, effectively find a position? So I think if you're someone that is currently not in the industry or working at a distributor, my best suggestion would be to work in a restaurant or in a retail setting and learn as much as what you can about the products Mm -hmm. and then make connections with people, you know, your vendors that call on you. So the, the sales reps that come in and take the order, um, and service, you know, that specific account, whether it's a restaurant or a retailer. So I would get to know them and ask them lots of questions. I can't tell you how many people I've met at the distributor that even got in that way. Right. Um, so I think, you know, if, if you don't have the sales background, that's a really great way to go. And like what we talked about earlier, y- you learn sales through those roles. Right. So from there, um, within the distributor network, it kind of depends on, you know, if you're looking and also your state, you know, whatever state you're in, if there's bigger distributors or smaller distributors and, you know, that the path to entry within those can vary. So I would say your bigger distributors, like, you know, a breakthrough Southern RNDC, those are where you're really going to want to have some sort of a degree. You just need a degree because it's the requirement for hiring. And most often they'll have you start off as a merchandiser. And so that's kind of a good way to get in. And merchandising just really allows you to understand the systems and the ways of working within the distributor. And from there, they kind of know that, 
you're not going to be a merchandiser forever. Those are kind of the entry roles and you kind of branch out from there, whether you want to focus in on the retail segment or you want to focus in on the restaurant side. And, and then what, they help. What would a merchandiser do? So a merchandiser would work directly for the retail teams and they would go in um, and help the salesperson set up all the displays. So all those beautiful displays you see in all those grocery stores and <laughs> the retail shops, those are all set up by merchandisers or, you know, the salesperson calling on the right. account. So, gotcha. okay. um, you know, that that's the best way, um, you know, for the larger ones. And then I would say kind of the smaller distributors where maybe they they don't have that requirement where you have to start off as a merchandiser. There's more flexibility where you can kind of come in and then just get entered into a, a sales route. So I would say, um, you know, if you're already in a distributor um, and you're thinking, boy, I really would like to go to the supplier side, you know, again, it's it's all about talking to as many people as possible and making connections. I can say when I got onto the supplier side, it's because they knew within the distributor and my key supplier partners that I wanted to go work for the supplier. Yeah, pick the suppliers that you're most interested in working for and then knock the numbers out of the park. That gets their attention really quickly. Yeah. And it does. It It gets their attention and it makes them think, oh, this person really is connected to our brands. Um, and also going into management, if there's a mid-level management or, you know, some some little bump you can make in your career, sometimes that can be super helpful. Um, you know, you really, I liked what you said, especially, you know, if you're not in the industry at all, to either get a job in a restaurant or where you're selling wine or, you know, where you're serving and selling wine or a retail wine, wine shop or wine retailer. And I, I'll, I'll give you a great example that that is truly the truth. So I do career coaching for, for the Academy, another shameless plug, but <laughs> anyway, um, one of my, career, one of my coaching clients, that was one of the things I recommended to her. She had been laid off and she had time. And I said, well, while you're looking, she wanted to work for a distributor. I said, well, while you're looking for that job, go work in a retail shop in a, in a, in a you know wine shop. And she did. And I said, and while you're there, I want you to get to know every sales rep that comes in there and tell them, hey, I'm looking for a permanent position. If you hear of anything, mm -hmm. took her two months and she landed a job at a great distributor in New York City with no sales experience. And I think she had her level one, probably maybe WSCT level one. So, um, so, you know, that net networking anytime for any kind of sales job truly is, I think one of the most important things you can do. And that's a great way to start networking. You were lucky you had a family member in the distributorship. I just got out the yellow pages <laughs> when there was yellow pages. And I just started just hounding every wine company that I could find in my area. And, you know, lots of, lots of resumes sent, lots of follow-up calls and, got lucky that somebody called me back. But you, know, yeah. so you have to work it. You just have to, if you want it, you have to work for it. You do. And you know, now I've talked to so many people that are in the distributor that got a degree. It wasn't in sales. It wasn't in business or finance. It was just a degree. But a lot of the bigger distributors now are recruiting at college campuses. Right. And so that's a great way to, you know, if there's a college fair, just go and check it out. If you think you're interested, they even do interns. So, right. um, you know, that that's another great way. And that they didn't have that when you and I <laughs> started out. I didn't have to have a college degree to get started when I, when I started working. And now, I mean, you're, the thing is, 
Could you find a job without one? Yeah, but it's so much harder because especially now the way the job sites, the job boards, they have these algorithms that kick, that just kick you out of the pool um, for certain jobs. If if the job requirement says a you know four year degree and you don't have it, your your resume doesn't even get included. Um, so those things, you know, they are they really are important today, um, more so than our than my generation. Right. And I'm you know another you're half a generation behind me. So my generation at college, eh, maybe it's a nice to have. <laughs> and I was a girl, so you know they were like college. You're just going to be a receptionist for a doctor's office and ultimately marry the doctor and stay home and have kids. Like, that's your job. That's your role. And I'm Italian on top of it. So I really, I was really, yeah. Like, no, no, I have very different ideas of what my life will look like. <laughs> oh, funny. Oh my gosh. Well, well, I think those are, that's great advice, Beth. And, and I love bouncing this off of you because it is good for the audience to hear are, you know, sort of paralleled stories, but different. And uh, I hope that what this has done is given the audience an idea that, you know, there's lots of ways to enter the wine industry. Um, Sometimes the college is important for small distributors, probably not as much. Networking is super, super important. Getting, finding a way to elevate your resume, whether it's taking a certification class like a WSET or just getting a part-time job, like you say, at a wine shop or at a restaurant Getting the word wine on your resume, I can't emphasize that enough. Just find a way to get it on there, even if it's just part-time, because it really does, it does really help. So good. Well, Beth, it's been so wonderful. I'm so sad you haven't been out here for because of COVID, but when are you coming back? Do you know? I think in May. May. I well, maybe we may be on a trip and where we're hoping to do some traveling. But in any case, I hope I see you when you're here next time. Um, Me as well. And it's nice seeing you here on our little podcast. It's been really great to have you. And I know the audience really appreciates your insights and sharing your experience. And and I just thank you for, for being willing to give us your time today. Well, thank you, Karen. I'm so glad that I was able to be on today and, and help give a little bit of insight to anybody out there listening that's thinking about getting into this industry. Great. And for those of you who don't know much about uh, Hess Persan, uh, please look them up online. Their wines are truly amazing and you can find some of them locally in stores and restaurants. But if you want something really special, go to the website and make sure you visit visit them when you're out here. Really, it's a, it's it's one that you shouldn't miss. It's definitely at the top of the heap with, when it comes to wineries. So, all right, Beth, well, we'll say goodbye for now on the podcast and thanks to the audience and we'll see you uh, in a couple of weeks. Bye. Thanks, Karen. Thanks to all of you for joining. And I hope today's show has inspired you to make a career out of your passion for wine. If you'd like to have a one-on-one career coaching session with me, just use the link in the show notes for more information or to schedule an appointment. This podcast is all about helping you follow your dreams. So feel free to send us your suggestions for guests or topics through our email link that's listed in the show notes. And it means an awful lot when you share us with friends or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode.